Good evening. Amen. It's good to have this number out with us for our second half of our worship service. Something was said today in the in the funeral of. Well, I just drew a blank. Wow, Teresa really going to whoop me, ain't she? Harold, Teresa's dad, and something was really said that kind of pricked my mind. And something come to my mind, and I'm going to share this with you this evening. Destinations. As you and I know very well, when we're accordance to God's Word, where there's, there's one destination of two that we're definitely going to go. But something was also said about the Haydan world. Something was said in that, in that funeral setting that, that well, there's, there's peace and there's comfort and tranquility. There's also another. There's another when we're not faithful. There's another, faith, another place where those who are unfaithful in the eyes of God are going to go and they're going to be tormented. We need to keep that fresh into our minds. So as we begin this evening, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth the first time in chapter 9 of the 24th verse. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and starting in verse 24. Something was also said that, 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 that encouraged this lesson as well. Hebrews 9, 27. For it's appointed for men to die once and after this the judgment. You and I are going to be judged of our deeds. Paul, here in the writing to Corinth, the church in Corinth there, he's trying to get some correcting happening there. Was, there was iniquity, there was separation, there was a lack of using of gifts, as we very well remember in our studies of Corinthians. But remember this. Paul's trying to correct them. He's trying to get them back on the straight and narrow to do the things God would have them to be doing as his children. The folks in Corinth understood uh, competing. They understood uh, gaming. They understood like running a race. And Paul uses this example here in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 to get the point across to them of how much effort they need to put forward in going to the correct destination that you and I strive for as a child of God. That is heaven. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Let's stop there for just a second. When Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Have you ever considered your Christian race as I'm going to have to get there first to receive this prize, to receive this gift that I've been striving so hard for? All are temperate. All have tested themselves. All have tried. All have prepared themselves for this race. Right? Most, most runners say in, a, in running or a triathlon or biking or some type of race, they don't just get up off their couch and take off running. Folks, if I tried that, I'd take maybe 30 steps and fall on my face. Out of breath, out of wind, I give up. That's not running a race, is it? not. Paul's telling him to run your Christian race in a shape, form, and fashion that these folks are temperate 
They're, they've been tempered. They've honed their skills. They've prepared themselves for this race. You and I need to be that very same way when it comes to the Scriptures. As we dive into the Scriptures and reveal that what God would have us to do unto ourselves, we apply those things to our life. And that's what Paul is talking about, running our Christian race. For they was running a race to receive a temperate crown, one that's going to be temporal, one that's not going to last forever. But you and I run a race as a child of God for one that is everlasting, an imperishable crown. When Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 7, he speaks of setting our mind on things above, where our treasures are, what do we hold dear? For many folks here upon this earth set their treasures upon earth where moth, rust, and thieves break in and steal. You and I can have a, a, a treasure set in heaven where nothing can touch it. It lasts forever. Are we, are we, are we that type of person that's running our Christian race that wants to get there first. Now that person who wants to get there first in an earthly race, in this temporal receiving of that temporal crown, you know, they, they hone themselves. They do a lot of... I can't even think of the word now. <laughs> they, they do a lot of uh, preparation. They do a lot of preparation. They, 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 they hone themselves and they, they get that skill of being able to run or bike or swim a very long distance. They practice. And they train. That's the word I was thinking of. They train. Are we training ourselves to be a child of God? Do we have that type of mindset that that goal I'm reaching for is heaven? Can we say that about ourselves? Paul says this in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. What does he say? I hone myself. I teach myself on how to behave. I dive into the Word. Of course, keep in mind, he had the gift of the Holy Spirit was already in his mind. God gave him that knowledge. You and I have to dive into the scriptures. We have to find those things God finds pleasing. And we have to do those things. Not to cast them off aside. Well, that's too hard. That's too difficult. When we look at it that way, it says, well, we have one destination or two when we give up in our race. Now, that being said, all run in such a way to, uh, to obtain first, but all run. Do you not know that all who run in a race, all run? We hear a lot about uh, uh, 5K, 10K, 15K, that is meters of a walk. You can run it if you want to, but you start and you finish. I see a lot of uh, numbers on the back of this, like 26.2 or or 10.2, or whatever. That's the time it took, or whatever, excuse me, that's the K that they performed. Right? 
We think about running our Christian race. There is a destination. And it's a lifetime. It's from the point of immersion to the end of your service to God. And that is at the end of our ability or at the end of our lives. But we all must run the race that we're going to finish. We have to finish. We can't stop running if we, to, if we are to expect that prize. Run halfway and stop? Well, you didn't finish, did you? We have to finish. That is the representation of stopping, turning your back on Christ. Remember John in, in chapter 6 and verse 66? You remember what happened to those sad souls, what they did? After they heard that difficult saying about Christ partaking of his flesh and drinking of his blood, he meant the Lord's Supper. That's what he meant. They couldn't get past it. They turned their backs away from him and walked away, never to walk with him again. They did not finish their Christian race, did they? They stopped running. They turned their back on him. They gave up. Paul says, I discipline myself. If I didn't discipline myself, if I didn't do the things that God would have me to do, and I preach the things that folks are supposed to do, in doing so, he disqualifies himself from those instructions. Say if he is teaching Timothy to go out, preach, teach the word, to convince, rebuke, to exhort, preach in season and out of season, and he tells Timothy those things, and he stops speaking, he stops teaching, he stops instructing. What has Paul done? He has just disqualified himself of being a child of God. Disqualified himself of being that apostle that he seems to be, that he calls himself the least of. Why? Because he stopped. But he didn't stop. He didn't stop until he quit breathing. He knew that goal that he was reaching for was obtainable. We need to look within ourselves. Is that We do realize that goal is obtainable. And when I say it's obtainable, we can be that child of God that God wishes us to be. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. No greater words have been spoken for you and I. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we realize we have sinned, when we realize we have fallen short, we don't need to be happy. We don't need to have joy in our lives if we have sinned. Our laughter needs to be turned to weeping. And our joy to gloom. We need to look within ourselves when we have this unrepented sin, the unforgiven sin that keeps us from being justified on judgment day. Again, our destinations. I said there are two, right? 
There's either one or the other. We find that in Luke chapter 15. We find that the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. We find that there are two destinations in the Hadan world. One of Abraham's bosom. Christ refers to it on the cross as paradise. And the other one is torment. Two destinations. Are we running our Christian race in a shape, form, and fashion that says, hey, I want to go to Abraham's bosom. I want to go to that same place that thief on the cross when he got forgiven of his sins by our Lord and Savior. I want to go there. Are we living on our lives that says that? There is a rest that has been promised to the children of God. And my bookmark is hiding from me. Well, I buried it, evidently. promise to rest just it's in there it'll come to me about the end of this lesson so we see two destinations right we think about God and his wrath to those who turn their backs on him what about the house of Israel in the wilderness the house in the, the, the house of Israel in the wilderness after they've been released from the bondage of Egypt how many times did they lose their focus how many times did they lose their faith even when Moses was standing at the bank and the Egyptian army is coming up behind them and they look at that army and says, look Moses, you, you brought us out here to die. We was, we was alive in Egypt. Yes, we were under bondage. We were treated horribly. But yet still you brought us out here to die. They forgot who they were. They forgot whose people they were. And God parted that sea. Allowed them to escape. They were reminded at that instance, you know, God's on our side. The waters came in, or came in on the uh, Egyptian army and crushed them. It wasn't too long after that that yet still they rebelled yet again. And they spoke against Moses. And they spoke against God. And that's where they went wrong. And God swore unto his wrath that they would not enter into his rest. That entire generation did not get to enter into the promised land. They did. Because of their unbelief. They lost track of that eternal destination. They lost their focus. Here's another example for you. How about Peter when he stepped out of that boat? And he put his feet on those waters. And he started walking on the water. Just as on, just as on hard ground. And what happened? Of course, this, there, was a, there was a big scene going on. The, the sea was all tumultuous. Uh, tumults. It was all violently raging around him. And he became scared. And he took his focus off Jesus. Immediately, what did he begin to do? He began to sink. He began to sink. And what did he need? He needed Jesus to lift him up. Keep in mind, he took steps away from the boat. He was walking toward Jesus. And he starts to look around and the ways of the world distracted him. 
He lost focus. He began to sink. What did he say? Lord, save me, I am perishing. Jesus lifted out, stretched out his hand and lifted him up. And what did he tell him? Oh, ye of little faith. He picked him up yet again. So we see that there is a rest for Christ is ready to save us. Are we at the point in our lives where we find ourselves like Peter sinking down into those waters needed to be saved by Jesus' hand? Do we find ourselves in that status? We find ourselves in that case in Syria, just like the ones in John 66. Tired, just walked away. But here we see the difference between those folks and Peter. Peter asked for help. Peter asked for Jesus to lift him up. Save me. What does he do? He saves him. We need to tell, we need to ask Jesus that very same thing sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we need to say, Jesus, save me. But going back to that house of Israel, God promised, you're not going to enter into my rest. So then therefore there must exist a rest. There must exist a place that's reserved for those who are faithful in the eyes of God. There must be. Turn with me to to Revelation chapter 21. You notice no S, Danny. I'm I'm getting good at that no S. Revelation chapter 21. Now this was shown to John by Jesus Christ. It was shown to him, and John's going to share something with us. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. We need to take notice of that. And he will dwell with them. Again, take notice of that. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. We need to take notice of verse 3 because we're going to get back to it. And in verse 4, John continues to say this, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Let's stop there in the fourth verse. Notice what God does for his people in this idea of rest in verse 4. No sorrow. How many of us are dealing with pain even to this day? Aches and pains and problems happen in your life. I'm right there with you. We deal with them, don't we? Sometimes they get unbearable. There will be no more of that in heaven. Are we living a life that says, I want to be there? Because the pain and suffering that we're being involved with today, the stuff that we're dealing with today, does not compare from the previous chapter. Revelation 
chapter 20. In verse 10, all the way actually through 15. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Again, the devil, the beast, the false prophet, tormented day and night forever. Then I saw a great white throne of, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven had fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And I want, to hit, I want this to hit the hearts of many. Because we find that that wide and broad gate leads to destruction. And I wish the masses could hear this very verse. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Why do you think they would be cast into the lake of fire? Because God sees them as equals to the devil. The devil was cast into the lake of fire. The beast was cast into the lake of fire. The false prophet was cast into the lake of fire. Death was cast into the lake of fire. Hades was cast into the lake of fire. Wait a minute, what, what's this Hades? Remember that temporal place? There's no longer a need for a temporal anymore. We go from that transition, if after we have died, we go from this world to the next. Or that holding pattern. Or that, that waiting place. For the coming Christ. Christ, again, he called it paradise. There's a paradise and there's a torment. About Hayden world. Hades. That was cast into the lake of fire because there's no longer any need for it. And anyone not found written in the book of life. How is one not written in the book of life? Again, what type of life are we living? Are we living a life that says... I have a destination that warrants everlasting life or am I living a life that warrants everlasting death in a lake of fire, which is the second death? Only you can answer for yourself. Even just because they were God's chosen people, God swore unto his wrath unto them because of their what? Their disbelief. They did not trust in God. They was out there in the wilderness complaining why they were where they were. We need to look within ourselves. Do we, like, do we look like that type of house of Israel? One who complains? Or do we look like a house of Israel that's appreciative of what God has done for us? That being said, what has God done for us? Well, this is what God has done for you. He allowed you an escape for your sins. He allowed an opportunity for your sins to be remitted. He allows you an opportunity to see this new heaven, new earth, where there is no 
death, no destruction, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, no tears. He allows you an opportunity to see that. We see that through the Son. Because Christ, does He not say in John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except through or by me? Does He not say that very thing? Previous to that, it says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What type of life are we living? Are we living it by the truth? I seriously hope we are. Because if we're not, we're telling God, I don't want that place that's reserved, that's peaceful. I don't want that. Again, I, I've asked this before. If I was to ask someone on the street who I know is very well lost, yet to come to yet to come to the knowledge of the truth, asking them, which would you choose? Salvation or a lake of fire? What would they what would they say? Well, salvation. I choose salvation. Why would I choose a lake of fire? But then the way that we live says otherwise sometimes, does it not? With our sins and our iniquities that we refuse to repent of. I say we, I mean people. I don't mean Boo Chapel. People refuse to repent of their sins. It will condemn them one day. Jesus Christ went to the cross to have those sins remitted. He paid that sin debt. Not to allow us an opportunity to the flesh, not to allow an opportunity to sin, but to stay away from it, subjecting our body, running our Christian race in a shape, form, and fashion that we want to finish. A place that's reserved for you in heaven. Revelation 2.10 was also mentioned earlier today. Y'all remember that? Revelation 2.10. What does Revelation 2.10 say? It says something significant about a church that's fixing to endure serious persecution. Even Satan's going to throw some of them into prison. Some of them even put to death. <laughs> Jesus Christ says something. He says it for you and I as well. He says this. Be you faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. That's the crown of life that we just made mention. Is your name in the book of life tonight? Did you expect, because you can know whether, whether or not you have rest waiting for you, do you expect rest after you give up the ghost just like Christ did? After you pass from this life to the next, an opportunity of repentance is over. You can't repent in the Hayden world. You can't. It's impossible. One can't go from one place to the other. Hebrews 9.27, does it not say, for it's appointed for men to die once, and after this the judgment. After we die, we're already judged. When Christ comes, who is our life, then we shall also appear with him in glory. Colossians 3.4. Is Christ your life tonight? Are we living out a lifestyle that says, hey, I want that, what God has offered unto me? What cost God himself so much? One third of himself to take on sin. Because what does sin and iniquity do to people and God? We think about Jesus Christ, the person. We think about Jesus Christ, the God. That's the, or the God is Heavenly Father, right? When we have the Father, we have the Son. 
Jesus Christ was God the Son. We think of that as one person. Actually, it was two, two persons living in one person. Because when he took on your sins, what did he do? He still had to die. That separation did have to happen. You remember the words of our Lord and Savior upon that cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is why your sins he bore. My sins he bore. He bore the sins of all those who were going to slap him in the face even unto this day so that they may be remitted. Keep in mind John 3.17. We made mention of that this morning. I'm going to state it again. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. It's up to us to make the choice to live out an obedient life so as to run our Christian race in a shape, form, and fashion that we want a destination that's above and beyond all comprehension. We can't fathom. We can't. We can. We can paint a decent picture of heaven. We can paint a pretty, pretty good picture, can't? We? Well, there's joy, bliss. All those who have gone on before us who are faithful there, God is there. The angels are there. We'll see Jesus Christ as He is. He'll be there. Have you ever painted that picture in your mind? I hope we have. I hope it's a place that beyond any measure and shape, form and fashion, beyond anything that we want to get there. Are we living out a lifestyle that says we do? Or are we just performing a lip service? I want us to think about that long and hard in the days to come, especially as we're about to stand and sing the song of invitation. Look within yourself. Are you a child of God that God says he's well pleased? Keep in mind what he said about his son right after his immersion. This morning, right? Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. Is he well pleased with you tonight? I hope so. If not, we can make that change. And if you're listening to this lesson, don't hesitate. Don't wait. If you have yet to be immersed, if you have yet to become a child of God, there is no reason you should wait any longer. You've heard the word, believe the word, repent of your sins, confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and be immersed or baptized for the remission of your sins, taking Christ on and starting your spiritual walk. But for the audience who's looking at me tonight, every one of us have done so. But we all have to live our lives. We all have things that we're dealing with. Is there a sin that you're dealing with that you're struggling and need some help? We'll be happy to help you. Do you need encouragement to the church? Do you need prayer? Let's get right in the eyes of God. Or remove all doubt that your destination is heaven. Remove that doubt tonight as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation.